Um, funny thing about that is, Mikhail and I got married August 18th, 2012. That's why I stamped it in my wallet, so I'd never forget it. For those husbands that sometimes forget, maybe you need to stamp it somewhere so you don't forget. August 18th, 2012, we got married that Saturday. There we were off to North Carolina in a 2008 Cobalt. All that we owned in Missouri stuffed in the back, including the dog that literally rests on a pillow in between her and me as I sat like this and she sat like that. There we were driving Interstate 40 from Nashville to Raleigh to get to North Carolina. We get to North Carolina and we say, okay, we've got to find a home church. And I grew up in Frank Clay. She grew up attending this church and also Hazel Creek um, and then visited Frank Clay Assembly God after I had went into the Marine Corps. We knew the pastor because my mother-in-law was best friends with the pastor's wife. And, and long story short, we knew each other, mutual friends. She attended there. Well, here we are as adults. You know, we just got married. She just graduated high school and I was just turning 21. We attended six different churches. Guess what each one of them preached on? Every time we tried it out, money. All six churches that we visited for the very first time, looking for that one church. So guess what? That one's not mine. You know, I'm going to a different one. We get to a different one, they preach on money. No, I'm not going there. Get to another one, they preach on money. I'm not going there. Eventually, we found one, and the way they suckered me in was they gave me a pack of M&Ms as soon as we walked in. Yeah. We ought to do that here. All right? Well, in this pack of M&Ms, there was 10 M&Ms. And the pastor was using it as an illustration on tithing and, and offerings. And, and I did not know that, that it was a prop for the sermon. So as soon as I get seated, I had not just ate my pack, but I asked Michaela if I could have hers. And the pastor says, hey, okay, take out your MMs. That wasn't happening. But we found a great church. And it was funny, you know, looking back, all of them talked about money. Isn't it a kind of controversial yet sensitive subject to talk about money? Who are you to tell me what to do with my money? Who are you to tell me that I ought to give this much or to that particular organization? But what we see in Malachi was this is a very serious subject to the Lord. Not a particular dollar amount, not as if God has a salary and he has to obtain it by you giving this much and me giving this much. But it goes deeper than that. We're going to get to it. So if you have your Bible, Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6, going through verse 12, the Bible says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. That right there is beautiful. And we'll get to it in just a minute, but just do not overlook that. From the days of your fathers, so going all the way back, years and years ago, What do they do? You have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. So he's, God is not sugarcoating anything. He's not beating around the bush here with the people of Malachi's day. He's getting right to the point. He's pretty well telling them, hey, I have kept you all together and you have failed me over and over and over. All the way back to the the great Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you have failed to keep my statutes and my commands. He goes on to say, return to me and I will return which is the New Testament or the Old Testament's way of saying, repent, turn around. So return to me, I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, 
that there may be food in my house, and thereby... Who decided to make these pages so thin? Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So we go back to verse 6. We're going to point out a couple of things before we actually get on to the topic of money. And we need to because they're important. God said them. And in verse 6, we see that the Lord says, For I do not, what? Change. For I, the Lord, do not change. So we know that our God is the same God as he was yesterday, is today, and will always be. So what we see is that the nature of God never changes. He never compromises or changes his nature or his character. But we do see that God can change his action. So in the very next verse, we see, if you return to me, I will what? Return to you. So it's as if God has turned his back on, their, on his people because they have failed to obey him. They're offering scraps on the altar. They're living in half-hearted devotion. And they're failing to obey and to please the Lord. In fact, he says, look, it's not just you. It goes all the way back to what? Your fathers, all the way back to the beginning of this thing, you all have failed to obey me. You failed to, to worship me wholeheartedly. So we see that he does not change, but his actions sometimes are changing. So we can also look, you know, the popular verse in the Chronicles, that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek me with all of, seek my face, I will what? Hear their cry, heal their land, and forgive their sin. So we see that our God is capable of changing his action or what he does, but he alone will never change. He alone will never compromise or change his character or his nature, but we are able to see that he will change his mind. We know that like the persistent widow who went daily and drove the judge crazy, we can see that God will sometimes answer our prayer after years of not answering it. We will see God change his action. But the beautiful thing is this, whenever he tells the people of Jacob, for you alone are still what? You're, you still exist. And that alone gives us proof that God will always be faithful to his promise. Seeing the nation of Israel exist today is evidence of God's faithfulness, that they are yet not consumed. They have been attacked. They will always be attacked. Why? Because that's his people. But seeing them exist today is evidence of God being faithful to his promise to make them a great nation. And that, to see that even though they were unfaithful, even though for generations they disobeyed the Lord, for generations they would, they would turn to rebellion, he still remains faithful. So something for you and I always to remember is that God will always be faithful even in our moments of unfaithfulness. That God is still a good, good father, even though we are turning our backs and we slap him in the face. God will still be there to forgive us of our sin, even though we commit sin and, and, and we are embarrassed to admit what we've done. We see that God will always be faithful. He will never, ever, ever take away his promise that he offers to us. He will never change his mind because, well, we, we for so long were doing so good and because we had a slip up here or because we messed up there, now he's turning. No, he will always be faithful to his word. So if his word tells us when we are a born-again believer that we will be saved from our sin, his promise will stand true. 
So one thing we can always keep in mind of and always cling to is that the promises of God are never changing. Now, his actions may change from time to time, circumstance to circumstance. He may answer the prayer here, even though he didn't over there. Or he may guide us here. He may open up the door there. But we are always, always under the faithfulness of our Lord. So your God will never change on you. In the midst of a world that's constantly changing, our God is a solid, steady rock. And what we see is that these people... We're offering scraps, half-hearted devotion, and now they're robbing God. Can you imagine trying to rob God, sneak into his house when he's all present? You know, he, he's peeking around the corner. He's under the fridge. He, he's everywhere. He's in the oven. You know, he, he's literally everywhere. It's not a physical robbing of going into the house of the Lord and taking extra communion because you're hungry on your way home from church or going into the house of the Lord and taking a couple of dollars out of the uh, offering place when no one was watching. This is much, much deeper, and God says, you are robbing me. Just think about that for a moment. Have you robbed God? Have you robbed God? And we'll get to that in just a minute. But what we see here is that the Lord offers them, by extending mercy to them, a way of escape from their sinfulness. He says, if you return to me, I will return to you, and this is what I will do. There's three promises that he offers these people as they choose to repent of their sinfulness instead of robbing God. They're going to be faithful to the Lord, and here's what they are. Three promises are to pour out a rain during a drought, open up the heavens and pour out a rain in, in a time of a drought in which they are lacking water. He offers to pour out, open up the heavens. He offers to remove the pestilence and the crop failure during that time, the devourer. He, re, he also promises to make them blessed by all nations. So he's, he's promising to them a bit of prosperity and a bit of hope in a season of hopelessness and a season of sinfulness and a season of brokenness. He's offering to them something they cannot do. Have you ever brought down rain? Anyone ever called down rain? No? Has anyone ever cursed the field and all the thorn bushes fade away? Has anyone ever made yourself called blessed by anyone else? Or by entire nations. No, these are only things that God can do. Therefore, he offers to them things that only he can do if they will simply stop robbing him and turn to him. So now we get into the good part. We get into the robbing. How were they robbing? Well, he answers them and he says, you have robbed me. And they say, well, how have we robbed you? And he says, because you are not bringing the full tithe. Now, this is where we get a little controversial or a little sensitive because here we are seeing that these people were withholding from God a wealth or a portion of their wealth that he was rightly deserving of. He was rightly deserving of a tithe of these people's wealth, and they were failing to do it. But it doesn't surprise me as you read the beginning part of this letter that these people would withhold something from God that was his, right? I mean, they're constantly doing things half-heartedly. They're constantly offering scraps on the altar instead of the unblemished lamb. They're, they're constantly turning their back against God. And now he is addressing the way in which they are robbing him. He says, bring the full tithe. What is a tithe? One-tenth is a tithe. So here we see that the people were robbing God by not bringing the full tithe into the storehouse, into the temple. 
And God says, this is how you can stop robbing me, by contributing to me what I am deserving of. The tithe would go to provide for the Levites and those that worked in the temple and those that did the Lord's work. They would be able to eat and to live off of that offering. Some people would bring a tithe of produce or of heart or crops or whatever it was that they made wealth on, whatever it is that they did, they would bring that one-tenth into it. So now we live in a day where you and I are under a covenant through who? Christ, right? So we have this question of, are you and I supposed to tithe? It's a huge debate in the New Testament church, is it not? I mean, we've probably had that discussion, and here's what I will tell you. There is not a particular scripture in the New Testament that requires us to tithe. There is not. So you may say, oh, we're off the hook, right? Like, we're just off the hook. And I've been that guy that when the offering plates were about to my row, I dug in, I had a couple of bucks here, and I called it good. Because I don't have to tithe, right? Well, it's almost like all the other Old Testament commands that Jesus addressed later on. He actually took them a step deeper, and made them much more heart-intended than an outward action or habit intended. So under the new covenant, are we required to tithe? Again, there isn't a command where you and I are to give a specific amount throughout the New Testament. There is one reference where Jesus addresses the, the Pharisees, and he addresses the fact that they were doing things unjustly, but they were still keeping the tithes, and he tells them, rightfully so, you should. There's been a debate for years between even my wife and I. Should we tithe? If we tithe, do we tithe off of our gross or off of our net? Of course I'm going to say net, right? Because that means I get to gross more or I get to retain more. There's always been a debate on what should I give to the Lord. Well, here's what I will start this conversation with. You and I are commanded to give to God. We are. Three ways, according to the uh, writings of the Apostle Paul, and they are these three ways that you and I are, are to give as New, New Testament followers of Christ. Sacrificially, regularly, cheerfully. Oh man, that's the hardest one, isn't it? It's hard sometimes to give sacrificially yet cheerfully at the same time. It's not like God is sitting up in heaven looking to upgrade the countertops in your mansion and needing you to give a specific dollar amount or percentage to, uh, to accomplish that task. But it, does, it is commanded of us to give. So, it's always been a command of his people. Now, you've heard me in the past say, if you are new to Christ, if you're new in your faith, or you're a young believer, setting a tithe could be a good discipline. Okay, not that it's a commandment that if you fail to do it every single Sunday, God will condemn you for it. But it could be a good discipline or a good habit to implement structure and some discipline in your finances. Because we live in a day where money is just flying out of people's ears. Right? I mean, and not just your money, but Chase's money, Discover's money, MasterCard's money. The, the Toyota's money, I mean, money is just flying everywhere. And in order to maybe put a little bit of structure, discipline, or a budget, a tithe or a tenth would maybe good a, be a good discipline. Is it a commandment? Not necessarily. But could it be a good discipline for you to implement structure in your finances that seems to be spiraling out of control? Could be. But then you may also find that some people can't necessarily afford to give 10% due to the circumstances of their life. 
Is God holding that against them? Certainly not. Or what you may find is that you have been so blessed by God that 10% is irrelevant. And you can sacrificially and cheerfully give way beyond 10%. So we're going to discuss a few things that people say today whenever they discuss money. Because let me just go ahead and say this right now. Money alone is not bad. Right? Who wants more money? Just raise your hand. Who wants more money? We all do. Let's just be honest. We all drive down the road. We see that. Oh, man, if I only had... But the problem is the love of money, the Bible tells us this is what? The root of all kinds of evil. So here's two things I am not a supporter of. Neither the prosperity gospel nor the poverty gospel. The prosperity gospel means that you and I make a transaction with God because I give him this much money and this much faith. He's he's bound to give me this in return. He's going to give me financial wealth. He's going to give me physical health because I have made that transaction with God. Prosperity gospel, it's heresy. But then there's also the other extreme to the poverty gospel, in which they will tell you that all money is evil and bad. And you can't have anything nice, or you can't make money. Or if you make money, you have to give it all away. So what we have to do is we have to navigate the middle of these two realms in the best way we can to obey the Lord. Because I will be the first to tell you, I always encourage people, work hard, make money, pay your bills, buy shiny things if you can afford it. But what I will never advise you to do is drown yourselves in debt because you want to continue to keep up with culture and the world when you and I are to be set apart from the world. So let's just discuss this for a moment. And, and I pray that we are always blessed financially as a church. I mean, if you look at our bank statements, we have been tremendously blessed as a church financially. We have way more money than I ever thought we would. And we've been able to do with it a lot more than we ever dreamed of. I mean, one of the things that made me so happy was after VBS. If you remember, we bought all of that curriculum and all the decorations. I don't know how much we paid for it, but we paid some money for it. And then what did we do with it? We just gave it away. You know how rewarding that is to be able to do as a church, to pay for things, and then to just give away to churches that may not have the funds that we have? We are truly blessed, truly blessed. And I'm always going to tell you, work hard, make the money, pay your bills, give to the Lord. But now let's get into this. How can you truly live financially obedient to the Lord? As we're commanded to be a sacrificial, regular, and cheerful giver, I'm going to discuss a few things that people will say or or good questions that people will ask. And this may hopefully help you, guide you in how to use your resources for the glory of the Lord. And what, what I want to also say before I move any further is that this, tithing in the Old Testament and cheerfully giving in the New Testament was never about a particular dollar amount or a specific percentage. It was always deeper into the heart of man. Because if I am stingy and greedy, I am always reluctant to give out of my stuff, right? That's my money. Guess what? When you and I die, it's going to be someone else's. It is. I have four kids. They're all going to fight about all $45 in my bank account, you know, maybe 48 or 50 by then, but they're going to fight about it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I pray that they don't, but, but it could. You know, the, the things that we buy, they're nice. We enjoy them. They bring us some enjoyment, but guess what? The moment you die, it'll go back to the bank or to someone else. It'll be auctioned off. Somebody will pay dirt, cheap, you know, prices for it and you worked so hard to obtain it, 
I'm never going to minimize having possessions. I think it's great if you can afford things, by all means, go do it. Enjoy the world, travel, buy the car, build the house, own the boat, buy new clothes, have nice shoes. That's great. But just never forget, it's your pursuit of those things is where you find yourself in danger. Like the rich man when Jesus said, give all away to the poor and come and follow me. It wasn't because he had wealth. It was because his purpose and identity was in his possessions and in his wealth. When it's your identity and your purpose to have and to obtain and to build and to hoard and to cling to, that's when you find yourself in a grave situation. Having nice things doesn't mean that you must be worshiping your soldier sold to the devil. By no means. Throughout numerous occasions, Christians and Old Testament followers of the Lord were blessed financially and with possession. The church was established by wealthy Christians sacrificing of their stuff to help those Christians in need. And Paul mentions it in his writings about churches aiding his work for the gospel. So whenever you give, just know it's not all coming to me. Be nice sometimes, right? But it's not. It's not. It's going to much, much greater things. So let's discuss a couple of, couple of questions, a couple of topics of, of discussion. So you and I understand we're to give, but how much? How much? As I mentioned, maybe a tithe or a tenth could implement a little discipline. And here's the thing. If you did your budget and said, okay, a tenth is irrelevant, I can give more. Or maybe a tenth is stretching it. We need to look at the way we spend or our expenses or, or how much money we make. Maybe a tenth isn't necessarily feasible at this particular moment in time. But maybe a tenth is irrelevant and you can give much, much more than that. So that is between you and the Lord. That's your, that's your call between you and the Lord. Now, people will say, well, a tithe is required and offerings are additional. That's great if that's your house policy. If that's your house rule, it is what it is. But the way that you give is between you and the Lord. And Paul says that you're actually supposed to know in your heart and to make up this amount beforehand and to give. So I'm never going to condemn you if, you're, if you find yourself reaching into your pocket and grabbing those few bucks out of your pocket as the offering plates come by. But I will advise you to take this much more serious because this is a chance for you to give back to God, give thanks to God for all that he's given to you. And this is what I will give. I'm going to give this much this day or I'm going to give that much to that ministry or I'm going to give that much to that outreach. It is a chance for you to thank the Lord for his blessing and to give back to him. So how much is between you and the Lord? And that is just to be given by me, by you, sacrificially, regularly, and most importantly, cheerfully to the Lord. Some may say, well, where do I give it to? My account routing number is on the back. No, I'm just kidding. You can give it to your local church. The finances that we receive here go in many, many directions. Between paying bills, the lights are on today, Right? Thank God. Could you imagine if none of the money came in to pay the bills? TVs wouldn't work. The lights wouldn't work. We'd have no water, no bathrooms. Could you imagine the outhouses and this many people? Could you imagine that? Thank God that we have moved up. How do we do that? We do that with your money. We pay bills. We use your money for practical, tangible, real-life things, but we also do it for the work of the gospel, sending 
I don't know, $1,000 worth of shoeboxes all over the world, sending money to aid missionaries or prison ministries or whatever the case may be. We send those resources based off your generosity. You may give, uh, but, but I will tell you this, that your offerings are not restricted to this place. You can give in various ways. You may give in numerous outreaches, but I would always advise you to research the people you give your money to and to be mindful that they are biblically-based, Christ-centered outreaches. Anywhere that the work of the kingdom is being done is a solid place that you can offer your money. But please do not give it to scammers. Please do not give it to big televangelists praying that if you send them this much, they're going to give you this cloth and this magic cloth. Take the cloth, burn it, and rip it. Okay? Please, please be mindful and be wise, prudent of who you give your money to for it be done for the work of the gospel. Now we move on to this, well, I can't afford it. This was my favorite point that I wrote down. And we're almost done, I promise. Can't afford it. For some, this may be true. It may be true that you can't give 4% or 10 or 15% of your money because you can't afford it. And for some, this may be very, very valid. Let's face it, life happens. Medical expenses out of nowhere. We lose our job. Hours are cut. We have an emergency that's much, much more than we ever expected. Those things do arise in our life. And there's times where you may not have it to give to the Lord. But I promise you, those things may be justified by the Lord, but things like these things are not. Well, my new boat payment or my maxed out credit cards, my new wardrobe or my new whip or ride is much too expensive. Therefore, I don't have the means to give to the Lord. Let me encourage you with this. God never commanded us to drown ourselves in debt. In fact, he advises us throughout the scriptures to stay away from debt, if at all possible. Sometimes it's impossible. I get it. Buying a house or having to have something immediately. Sometimes it's unavoidable to build up a little debt. But the scriptures are clear that you and I are not to be drowning ourselves in debt for our pleasure. If we are so selfish to give in to the desires of me that I drown myself in debt, therefore I cannot contribute to the work of the gospel being shared with the world in offerings or financial gifts, then you and I have much more than a money problem. We have a heart condition. That heart condition is self-centeredness, selfishness, self-righteousness, or even self-pleasure against God. So if you and I are those people that cannot afford it because of valid reasons, things that we cannot control. But if we are unable to give to the Lord because of things within our control, such as knew this, knew that, knew this, upgraded that, bigger this, then you and I may have a very, very severe heart condition that needs to be addressed. And I would like to end with, with this. The way that you give... It's between you and the Lord. The amount that you give is between you and the Lord. We do not keep a checks and balances of each person and say, well, they need to be giving more. Or what are they spending their money at? By no means will we ever do that. It's between you and the Lord. But it's always been much, much more than a dollar amount attached to your name. It is about a heart that is truly thankful 
for the blessing that God has given. Therefore, in response to that, I give. God would much rather you give your heart to him than you ever throw money in a plate. He desires your heart above all things. But he knows that a heart truly devoted to him will live generously much more than a tenth or a fifth or a particular amount. He desires that you and I will live truly obedient and devoted lives to him. Because if we don't, we are actually robbing him. Not just robbing him financially, but robbing him of the opportunity to take a broken, sinful person and to redeem us and to use us for his glory. You and I, if we fail to fully devote ourselves to the Lord, if we just comfortably live in our sinfulness, sinfulness and our greed or our pride, or, or we just constantly seek what we desire and the desires of our flesh and the lusts of this world, you and I are robbing the Lord from doing a mighty, marvelous work in us. What does he want to do in us? He wants to make us look like his son. Therefore, he can take us and use us to bring more people to him. We are robbing him of the opportunity to use us for his glory. So whenever you come into to next Sunday and it's time to pass through your offering plate, I'm not trying to bait you in or guilt you in to giving more. I'm trying to truly to get you to truly understand and evaluate the life in which you live. Are you fully devoted to the Lord? Are you living half-heartedly, just throwing him on the side of everything else that you have in this world and just kind of mentioning his name as a blessing or as a meath? Or is he truly your everything? Because a heart that is fully devoted to the Lord will live generously with all their resources, with their time, their energy, and their money. There will be times where you don't have to think about, should I pay for this person's meal or should I buy this lady's groceries at the store when she's digging? Like These are just things that you will do whenever it's time to take up an offering to send to a missionary in the gospel realm or in the battlefield in a third world country. It will not be a question, do I have to do it? It will be something that you are just compelled to do because your heart is fully devoted to the Lord and to all of his work. So what I want you to consider much more than any dollar amount that you give or that you plan to give next Sunday, I want you to consider the fact, are you fully devoted to him or not? If you are not fully devoted to the Lord, you will find every reason not to give. You'll find every reason not to contribute, not just money-wise, monetary-wise, but your time or your energy for the work of him. But if you are fully devoted to him, then generosity will flow much more through your fingertips with your money, but through your time and your energy. So today, are you truly devoted to him? Let's pray.